joined here today by three eminent and um, prolific activists across the spectrum of Irish politics. Um, and we're here to discuss um, current trends within British-Irish relationships. And I'm going to go straight up to Paul, Paul Stewart, and ask him, what are what is the British establishment's position vis-a-vis -vis the six counties currently? Do they do they no longer see Northern Ireland as a vital asset for boots on the ground and the departure from the is the departure from the from from the UK inevitable? Um, are they trying to cultivate, given some of the media speculation, are they trying to cultivate a culture whereby people now see that um, uh, British departure is inevitable and holding on to Scotland is a more a more urgent need than anything else? I think the, I think both things are related about the attitude towards Scotland and, and, and Ireland, north, the north of Ireland and the south. I think... The interesting thing is we all had our analysis of British imperialism in 2015 and we made a joke about what might happen if the British were, the, if irony, if ironies, the British were to say, look, we're pulling out. There's, there's, there's no war anymore. Bye-bye, boys, and we're away. We say, wait, 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 hang on a minute, that's not our analysis. Socialists, our analysis is we have to drive you out. And I think one of the things is that whatever analysis was of British imperialism Ireland before 1915, before 2015, now has been a test. The last few years have been a real test of that analysis. And I think what it shows is that, you know, as socialists, we've always understood imperialism takes different forms. The British in India, and their, you know, the way they did it was to basically use tribes against one another and allow local cultures to do what they did as long as the British were in control. The French imperialism is different. You know, you go tell, even today, you go to Algeria or Tunisia, the street science, you know, everything looks, has that French feel. They all speak, everybody speaks French or Arabic. Imperialism works in different ways. At that time, up until really after the Second World War, I can see the period from 1950s through the 1970s as, as the long march, you know, towards national liberation movements and away from imperialism. What we know is that imperialism no longer requires territorial, physical territorial domination. The boots on the ground are not necessary. <clears throat> I mean, for example, we can see this is a slight detour I'm making to make the point that if you look at Biden's, you know, American imperialism, you know, they're pulling out of, they're not supporting Saudi Arabia. Well, of course they are, but they're not, they're going to do it in a different way. This began with Trump, actually. You know, in the, in the current period, I would say imperialism depends on globalized financialization. And actually, financialization doesn't require territorial, physical territorial domination. You can control the territory without having the boots on the ground. And the French are understanding that their cost now. The British were a bit cleverer, I think, I would say, because they were able to pull out and, and use their banking finance, financial institutions to rule territories and now the British, this is the, the, the new more. And I think, you know, to cut a long story short, because I really I appreciate there's other many other questions and and, and Tommy and Eugene are, are want to say something here. But we now know that the British, you know, if the, the British have an the British interest in Ireland can be seen very, very graphically by that line down the Irish Sea. It's called 
you know, the Brexit border. And if, if, if they don't know it, there's no reason why, you know, the political class should know it. But certainly the ruling class know that they can dominate rural Ireland, north and south. They don't need to have troops there. Of course, there are troops in the north, we know. Very, very many, many more than people recognise, you know, politically. And Tommy and I have written about, about this, about the role of the deep state in the north, that you can control a territory much more rationally with a few number of targeted um, agents. And by that, I mean, you know, the civil service, aspects of civil service, um, partly also the repressive state apparatus as well, by which I mean the MI5, MI6. And through the territorial domination can be secured through financial management. There is the issue, of course, the fact that the Republic of Ireland is part of the European Union, but that's that's a secondary issue. You know, there, there, there'll be very, very few restraints of mobility of capital. Thatcher started, Thatcher and Reagan started this. There'll be very, very few restraints of mobility of capital between European Union, by which we mean the Republic of Ireland, and the United Kingdom, by which we mean the North of Ireland at the minute. So I would say the British are, are canny now, but I think it's, it's, it's a mark of contemporary imperialism. Uh, we, we can see, you know, but of course, you know, that's the, the, that's the elephant in the room. And there's a kind of distraction about what the DUP are doing, what their argument, because they're, they're big players really, you know. And so for the British, the British are looking at the political class throughout the island of Ireland, and they're not seeing you know, your friends, and they're, they're not saying Paisley and those, that coterie of, 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 of fantasists in, in, in Westminster, who are in, in that party, they're looking at the South and the political class in the South, which is much more clear. And that political class, which by the way, has access to Google, has access to Apple, you know, works with the American ruling class. These are the people that the British think matter. And, uh, you know, they, they look to, to see how the situation evolves. So the, the answer, the very short answer to your, your question, my very long response is, yes, Britain still does have an interest in Ireland, but it is not articulated on the ground in a physical way as it used to be because the shape of imperialism has changed. Okay, uh, excellent. Um, very interesting. Tommy, I just ask you maybe if you would focus on six counties and um, has unionism any leverage left within that centre? And what are the strands and the developments that are happening within six counties, both within unionism, locally within unionism and within Republican nationalism? I, I think if we take a look at uh, or listen to what Paul has said, it's very pertinent, very interesting the relationship between the British ruling class and the six counties. Uh, undoubtedly, I think there has been a seminal change, a climate change in terms of Britain's relationship with the six counties. And I think that's been highlighted by, for example, George Osborne's article in the Evening Standard, uh, Shrimsley writing in the FT, Camilla Cavendish writing in the FT, and astonishingly, Max Hastings' comments reading from Bloomberg. So we're seeing, I believe, the climate being created in Britain where we can, where the British can part company with the north of Ireland without uh, alienating any of the far right in England. 
which is only a small player. In the six counties, I think we're seeing unionism has reached its 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 peak. It's on the terminal terminal decline. Its leverage in Westminster is gone, and I think it's long gone. And it is has been evidenced by the protocol that was ordered down the Irish Sea, which we when we look at what happened. Boris Johnson quite simply shafted. He betrayed. He 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 told frank lies to the DUP, who over well overestimated their strength and their bargaining power, uh, believing that they had some old imperialist hold over Britain, which they just don't have. What they don't realise is the old Palmerstonian observation that Britain has no permanent enemies, Britain has no permanent allies, Britain has only permanent interests. And when we're talking about Britain, we're talking about the British ruling class. Uh, and the Northern Unionists or Northern Nationalists, even less, they, they don't have any influence over the British ruling class, the people, the deep state, the, 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 the permanent government, the people that, that pull the strings in Britain. Unionism is at a lost end. The DUP supported Brexit, the hardest possible form of Brexit. They hadn't even the political intelligence to recognise the deal that Theresa May was offering. They pulled the rug from under Theresa May. They found themselves in a position where they supported uh, Boris Johnson with the bizarre situation where Ian Og Paisley was up crying the blues in the House of Commons. Why did you do this to us? Has he not even read Edward Carson's uh, statement in the House of Commons 100 years ago? This type of thing, these people who claim to be unionists don't even, I think, understand their own history. But there's always always been this fear that the ultimately in their heart they know that they they have little influence. The, the Northern Ireland, as a strategic asset to the British state, it has long gone. Britain is no longer a global superpower in the way it used to be. Uh, the deep water port up in Derry is no longer a, st- a vitally strategic asset. So in terms of their military capacity, the British don't reckon, re- regard it necessary to have boots on the ground. Economically, Northern Ireland is an irrelevancy in terms of the British economy. And there is then the other aspect that the demographics are changing inexorably. And this has happened over the last 20 to 30 years because no longer can the unionist regime manipulate the economy to the advantage of its unionist majority and force effectively force into exile or emigration the, the, their nationalist opponents, critics. So I think the British have made a calculation that it's inevitable that the North will go. And then their game plan now is to manage the transformation to their advantages they have done in so many other parts of the empire over the last century as the retreat from empire. And even to the extent the the manipulated the transformation here in, in the Republic of Ireland in 1921 when they effectively ordered McCollins to to shell the four courts for to launch a civil war to ensure that there would be a, a colonial government established in, in, in Ireland here sympathetic to the British Empire and Commonwealth, which they did. But in the North, the North is now Surplus to requirements, as far as the British are concerned. Unionism has not come to terms with that and is posing and talking, as we saw about the protocol, they're threatening violence, but it's a, it's a two-edged sword for them. 
how do they threaten violence? Who, do, who are they going to threaten? Who and how, how are they going to perpetrate it? We have the usual hypocrisy, the deep running hypocrisy from the DUP, threatening violence, indicating that violence may emerge from their loyalist neighbours. And at the same time, the loyalist working class, several of their leaders are telling, quietly telling the DUP that they're not going to be used one more time, used and abused one more time. Uh, so we are left in this situation that what we're looking at now is unionism in many ways has a certain position within Northern Ireland, within the six counties, but not any longer within the United Kingdom. They don't, they're not a player. Scotland is the big uh, price for the British ruling class to hold on to Scotland. Northern Ireland can be separated, lost, and they're going to recognise the inevitability that they will be moving out. So therefore the game becomes one now for the British ruling class, for imperialism in general, how to manipulate the transformation. And I think Eugene will certainly deal with that in more detail than I will. But we're looking at the, the role to be played now by what's known as civic nationalism. And possibly even Sinn Féin has had a, a Sinn Féin has changed its position over the years. It now supports the European Union, albeitly, albeit certain critically, but it still supports the European Union. It is <coughs> of the US troops down in Shannon. It, uh, it, but certainly it's the civic nationalists who are even far to the right feel very comfortable with the type of regime that is in place at present in the Republic. And we can then expect that unionism is no longer the monolith that it was before the fall of Stormont in 72. Mm. We're seeing what the uh, Alex Kane, a very astute observer of unionism, describes as garden centre unionism, up to possibly 20% of the, what would be broadly speaking, the, the greater unionist family now vote alliance would be content to stay within the United Kingdom, but will not raise any physical difficulties if, if there's a vote for unity. Uh, so Tommy, um, um, in the recalculation of um, what is useful to British imperialism, um, where would you put Sinn Féin's position in that role? Have, have Sinn Féin now become um, the new proto-unionist party in, 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 in reality? No, I, I, would, I, I wouldn't go that far. Mm -hmm. I, I think the British position for Sinn Féin is to allow Sinn Féin to become the quiet opposition, almost like the British Labour Party, the, the, uh, in the sense that so long as they don't rock the boat, they go along with the, the, the status quo. Uh, their, their relationship to the European Union has changed. Their tolerance for the United States has changed. As long as they tolerate the new emerging uh, climate, Business, as long as uh, we're, we're, we're hearing Sinn Féin spokespersons now talking about the need to have competition within the banking sector. Uh, we on the left say <laughs> finance should be nationalised. There is no role for the private sector or competition in finance because we're talking about taking the, the, the financial ability into, into the hands of the people. I mean, Sinn Féin have not critiqued or criticised the euro, for example. Having a euro uh, transferring your power to create, to create sure. finance. I mean, that's, a, that's an abdication of sovereignty. But I wouldn't go so far as to say Sinn Féin are, are, are unionists. I think they are quiescent in the overall situation. They're willing, mm -hmm. to, they're willing to buy into business. They're willing to buy into the private sector. They're buying into the militarization that is emerging from within the European Union. They're tolerant of the US boots and shannon. They don't want to close down 
Facebook with its intelligence gathering facilities in Dublin. So, so long as they behave, as I say, like new Labour, Sir Keith or Sir Keir Starmer leading the the, the Labour Party, and I, I, they're, they're, that that will be the role for Sinn Féin. If you like the almost the valuable role played by the British Labour Party in providing, if you like, a, a lightning rod to the to the working class, to which can diffuse the the. Revolutionary potential within the working class, so long as you have the Labour Party, it, keep, it, it actually acts as a guardian on the working class. You can be, you can advocate Irish unity, albeit Irish unity within the parameters that are suitable to imperialism. And I think that's the role for Sinn Féin, not so much unionist as, if you like, the, the police person <coughs> of, of republicanism. Okay. Um, Eugene, if I could go to you back and, and maybe you'd explain um, or give us your views on. What's happening in the South and in this um, recalculation of imperialism, and as Paul's pointed to, um, it's rethinking of itself. What is the establishment position vis-a-vis the North in, in the South um, and their attitudes towards the border pole? Um, have, what are the, 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 we understand that capitalism often has um, divided interests and we'll, we'll, we'll express these in different ways but are there connecting interests between um, between Britain and uh, the south of Ireland in, 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 in this imperial plan? Um, I think there's um, what has a century on of the establishment of Stormont um, Mr. From, as I understand it there, I think there's been a century on, a century uh, whenever partition was began to be floated around 1919-1920-21, uh, uh, you have to remember that partition um, was not part of the debate during the whole um, treaty debates, because uh, they all thought it was going to be solved by the boundary commission uh, that was to follow. Um, so therefore everybody thought that, as most thought, that there were going to be a, a, a partition wouldn't really be a a long-term uh, goal, um, and I think that all people underestimated the role of the British at that time uh, in managing and guiding the process. And even unionists found out to their own uh, thing that they actually were also sold a pup by the British in regards to um, Carson. Then was talking about uh, being once again being uh, led up the garden path. And I think today it, we should be careful about. Um, I think. Uh, imperialism is extremely flexible. It's extremely flexible uh, in how it manoeuvres. I don't think it ever puts itself in it, all its eggs in one basket. I think it actually tends to have a number of number of um, scenarios at play at a given time. I think it's all about managing. It's about managing their interests and managing the process. Um, and I do believe, as uh, Paul pointed out and, and Tommy, um, imperialism. Uh, I don't think there's such a thing as a benign imperialism. I think imperialism operates and, and functions uh, on its own self-interest and what, it, what its, its material interest and needs are at a given moment in time. And I think at this moment in time, the Irish establishment um, have, they have uh, made their peace with imperialism, regardless whether it be the uh, European Union, the United States, or with uh, Britain itself. Um, so it's about managing its relationship to imperialism. Um, I think that's what it's about. Uh, there's different levels of dependency with, with the Irish establishment. Um, 
Uh, I think that the Irish establishment itself is, uh, I wouldn't think it'd be overly keen on the United Ireland. Um, I think there's a, there's a questions about it. I think the whole question of reflecting back, I think the, where the Articles 2 and 3 in the, uh, the Republic's Constitution was presented a constitutional imperative uh, for unity. Uh, with the removal of Articles 2 and 3, that constitutional imperative has been removed. And therefore, now we can see now the political flexibility that has emerged um, there all within the establishment. Um, and I think that's where it gives them room to manoeuvre whether they wish to engage with or want to have a united Ireland. I still think the question of mm. would the Irish capitalist class have the capacity uh, if they were confronted by a, a unified working class movement? Um, would they be able to cope with that? Would they be able to deal with those political forces? Because um, I do think that that was a factor way back in the time period of partition. I think the both the unionists and the, the um, I would say the nationalist uh, class in Dublin were terrified of, of a somewhat of a resurgent uh, working class movement. And we have to remember that uh, the Irish Transport and General Workers Union uh, was decimated after the 1913. Um, but was rebuilt in the period from 1913, particularly in the period of 1918, 1919, 1920, uh, was rebuilt to, to, to a membership of over 100,000. That was rural and urban workers. Many of those were actively nice. involved in the national independence struggle. Um, so the ruling class knew who was involved in the national independence movement. And I think with unionism as well, uh, it was commonly talked about the, uh, the, the sort of the onward march to unity of the working class at the time. So it suited both unionism and the nationalist forces to have uh, uh, to have the working class divided and and, and uh, marginalised in the political process. <coughs> I think that's uh, to a degree. I still think that is the situation today. Um, uh, I think that uh, we have a big job of work to do in the republic because we've had uh, many decades of uh, revisionist history. Um, many decades of um, attacks upon the whole idea of national democracy, national independence, national sovereignty, national unity. There's been decades upon that, and I think that's a that's a that's a, a big an ideological struggle we're going to have. Um, and regards mm -hmm. to uh, the north and central at the border pole and things like that, I think um, uh, the old saying, "I'm not too sure about all this," um, but um, the people who vote the SDLP, do they are they voting for Irish unity? I'm not too sure. Uh, do all the people who vote for Sinn Féin voting for Irish unity? I'm not too sure. Um, so I don't think necessarily that the the changing uh, the changing demographics are necessarily a changing demographics that uh, towards the United Ireland. I think there are changing demographics as to what people want out of life and what they are looking for. And uh, do people feel that their self interests are going to be met in the United Ireland or they would be met within the British state? And I think these are the processes which Britain has been cleverly doing. They've been managing the peace process, what is called the peace process, over the last 30 years. They've managed it uh, in their own interests. And I think in the South, the Southern establishment will manage the debate, if there is to be a debate around the question of a border pole, they will manage it uh, to see, and their calculation will be uh, not some romantic rose-tinted rose glasses of the United Ireland to be the class that re-establish a unitary state. Uh, they will base it upon their capacity to maintain their interests. And uh, I think that's what the case will be. So uh, I think it'll be a, a long battle taking place around, around this. And I think it's about all of those sides, both British imperialism, the Irish establishment, the European Union, will all be managing their own self-interest. 
uh, and within that, the working class itself will be marginalised uh, in that debate. And I think it's the objective of and the role played by progressive left Republican forces is to bring out uh, the demands and the clarity of the demands uh, of the working class, of the rural and urban workers, uh, small farming communities, and all that. That, that. that is our task: is to draw those those uh, demands, those aspirations into the open and place them on the table. Uh, because it, it is about a few the fight for the future, and I think the future. Just come to that, maybe if I could hold you there, Eugene, could hold it at, at the end. Um, uh, Tommy has particularly put forward the thesis that there's a, 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 a an inevitability about unity, and that um, Britain has come to their conclusion. But I want to ask, given that project globalization, um, we could see this possibly emerging if there was. Um, the global project and the, the conglomerations of capitalism get never bigger and bigger, um, as seem to be the unstoppable process. But Brexit and, um, and, and, and particularly national interests have um, disrupted our, many people's views of, of how that um, global process within capital was working. Has the advent of Brexit the likelihood of um, a trade war or the, the apparent emergence of a trade war between Britain and Europe, <clears throat> has that scuppered project, um, project United, uniting um, the, the island of Ireland under a bourgeois capitalist system um, that, that, that might have happened under the mechanism of the European Union? Are we in a situation where um, those valiant interests of British imperialism and um, European <coughs> bourgeois interests are now at such a conflict that they're going to manifest themselves um, on the island of Ireland and scupper what we had thought would emerge as, um, as just inevitable coming together of their interests. Could I just go back to Paul on that? <laughs> I, I think that... Um... As you, you know, the point that Eugene makes very well that, um, you know, the imperialism, you know, as a, a social historical force, capitalist force, dominant bourgeois na capitalist nations, it, it takes different forms in different, different ways, different times. And <clears throat> I mean, like the working class movement is contradictory. And obviously, we know that it is because we're, we're trying to work within it. We've been signally unsuccessful wherever we are in actually making social revolutions. And by the way, any revolutions that do occur always end up in the sphere of capitalist. You know, so we, we know that. Mm -hmm. It's what they can do. I think it's how they look around, the mischief they can make. I mean, let's not forget that there's more unionists pissed off with, with divided Ireland than there was... I mean, I exaggerate to make the point, and there was nationalists. Don't forget the Irish Unionist Alliance had over 60,000 members south of the border in the counties of Monaghan, Cavan, you know, and, and, and Leitrim. But they had more members, there's more members in the Irish Unionist Alliance than there was in Belfast, you know, and, but after, and, and they felt sold out mm -hmm. by partition. But so it, it was, I mean, it could, have been, it could have been anything, you know, the unionism was a divide within Irish society that was obviously more or less important, but, you know, divide, supported them by divisions within the British ruling class, you know, you know, 
Mm. And and the, that was advantageous for them. And you know, Eugene, you know, and you know, Tommy, you know, you know, in, in, in the Republic now, of course, the, you know, the unionist now is the blue shirts. And um, you know, it's whatever it's it's about the unity of I mean, they're embarrassed, you, you know, thank goodness there's 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 enough people enough of the time to embarrass them. Otherwise, you'd have parades every other week to the black and tans, you know. You know what I'm saying? That that the, the imperialism seeks the, the the allies, as Tommy said, the allies that it can, that it can rely on, and those can change through time. It doesn't really matter what color they are, you know, or or what badges they wear, or what they call themselves, or even what language they speak. I mean, it mattered to the French; they all had to speak French. But the British could put up with people speaking twenty different languages in India, you know. It, so I mean, that's just to make the point. That, yeah, I mean, I agree, imperialism, and if if. If Irish unity was, they wouldn't be bothered, not interested, because they can rule it through, you know, as our great, you know, as Connolly himself said, you know, through the financial institutions and so on, that it will do that. And and if, and you know, I did, I'm aware I didn't answer your, to respond to your question about, about Scotland at the beginning. But to Paul, particularly, I mean, we're, I we're, ask we're, you, uh, just around this issue of, of um, yeah. the development of Brexit and um, the looming contradictions between um, conflicts between British imperial interests and European imperial interests, um, how they impact on this question of what appeared to be the inevitable project in uniting Ireland under uh, in a European context. Will this scupper that? Will this take the wheels off that project? No, I don't. I don't think it. The the project, sorry, of which project? Uh, the project. It did. What it seemed to be from our discussions, it seemed apparent that um, British imperialism was at least facilitating um, discussions around the reunification of Ireland um, under uh, under. No, under no, no, the, no. I I don't think so. I think it hastens it. Actually, I think that there. I think it. Let's. Well, there's two things. One is. Okay. Within the British ruling class, there there are clearly divisions. You know, we know that because within Brexit, you know, the, the, you know, the British capitalists, they would have. The, and by the way, you know, the vote it could have gone either way. Frankly, you know, had it been managed better, Britain would still be in the European Union. So these things are. Let's not take out conjuncture and the unpredictability of history. You know, the things aren't inevitable the way the way they work themselves out. But what's happened is that it's given clarity to the nature of British capitalism in a way which maybe wasn't the case because both British workers and British capitalists were protected by, they were shielded by the power of, you know, this is a, this is a you know, European, Britain's what, 70 million people, the European Union is four to 500 million, you know, with the, the, the you know, it's the second largest block in the world, you know, global trading block. So Britain is now minnow in that. But it, but Britain, but, you know, the British, they the use the, the imagery, as we know, of imperial past in order to promote a different imperial future. And that imperial future is one which is about deregulation, it's about breaking labour markets, it's about under-cheapening labour, it's about making labour more amenable to demands of capital it makes britain more open than it did previously because if it's part of the world trade world trade organization rules then it becomes subject to different criteria so the, the 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 kind of myth of course because that was all nonsense wasn't taken back control but of course it didn't 
it gave control anyway, not only did not give control to the British working class or British people, um, but of course it gave control to particular kind of strand within British capitalism, British and British and that new financial British imperialism, which can trade anywhere and everywhere at any time. So it deregulates, it deepens the project, the Thatcher project, and makes it more likely to be the case. And so the the fact that I'd see what I mean, I understand what you're saying, that would it not be then, you know, fragment that unitary British notion because suddenly a, a border down the Irish Sea puts part of Britain in, in the orbit of the European Union. But Britain's in the orbit of the European Union. I mean, arguably it's more in the orbit of the European Union now before because to trade with Europe has to abide by European trade rules, regulations about, you know, about sanitary care, about, you know, good provision of goods, standard health and safety regulations, whereas before through its apparatchiks and Civil service bureaucrats who couldn't negotiate deals for themselves. You know, now it, you know, you know, as part of the dialectic here, we have to look at Britain is more subordinate to the European Union now than it was before. And of course, because you know, because the other periodist interest, the Americans are more interested in alliances with the European Union than well, Germany. I'm gonna put this to Tommy. So it's just it's just an issue, you see. So I don't think, and then there is, sorry to bog it, but then there is a dialectic in the, in, in Ireland itself. Which is if Britain's saying, look, there's a shift here, you know, um, towards this demographic shift. What's well, who's going to fight this? This isn't important. What, how can we maintain our sphere of interest? How can we? How can Irish, you know, British capital still have a role? You know, what? And, and I think that that's the dynamic that I, I that'd be my interpretation anyway. Um, it will deal with the situation as, and it's got people in Belfast and. Castle Ray and so on to, to try and manage that in some way. You know, it can't control everything. Who could have seen Brexit, right? You know. Okay, yeah, I just can't tell me with this same so, question. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for that. Um, Tommy, you know, given that um, we understand the selfish interests of, of, of the, the, the big powers and um, that, that they're going to serve the bourgeoisie, um, Irish bourgeoisie, Irish interests are, you know, what are we, 1% of the European Union? If there are competing interests between Britain and Europe, how significant, or will Ireland become a casualty, or the, the, the Irish unity become a casualty of that uh, process? Same question in another, in another way. I'm not sure that it will. I, I don't think the differences between the European Union, I think as Paul has been alluding to, between the European Union and Britain are as stark as you might imagine. We're not looking here at uh, William and James battling it out for the crown. And you know, we're not going to see another battle of the Boyne here between the French and England interests in, in Ireland. We're not, we're not in that situation. Uh, I think if you look at, for example, the European Union wishes to maintain a strong relationship with the UK and vice versa. And all you have to look at is the recent spat over vaccines. And look, if the European Union was serious about holding on to vaccines, it would just simply stop the export of vaccines to the United Kingdom. But they haven't. They have held exactly. on. And then on the other hand, if you're looking at the situation where the loudest, shrillest voice to not to uh, put out an export ban on EU exports to Britain was Michal Martin. So what I think you're looking at a situation where Michal Martin, and he, yesterday in the Financial Times, he talked about resetting, the need to reset the relationship between the United Kingdom and the European Union. So mm. 
there is there is i think there's economic interests at stake in both cases there's pragmatic political interests at stake and of course in ireland here we have the craven uh, bourgeoisie comprador bourgeoisie that has effectively no confidence in itself it, it it has confidence in its special branch and its army to hold the situation for them their but their their faith is put in maintaining an economy that's run for them by american multinationals they, they, they don't have, they don't have the self confidence we're not talking irish bourgeoisie is not doesn't have the self confidence of the yankee capitalist class the british capitalist class the french and german capitalist class it, it it's a comprador local neocolonialist bourgeoisie but in terms of will this difference between britain and the european union prevent irish unity i'm not sure that it will in fact i don't think it will i think they're going to look at it in a different light and when we're talking about inevitability i'm not talking about the next few weeks or maybe months but there is there's a situation here that mm-hmm. and we we'll have to look at several <laughs> scenarios demographics do not necessarily mean that every catholic will vote for united ireland i think that's a that, that would be to vulgarize the argument but if mm. that catholic majority emerges in the six counties it will fundamentally change the dyna- political dynamics within the six counties mm. so therefore that's the calculation that's going to have to be made do, do do the british ruling class want to see a situation where we have conflict in the north can the southern bourgeoisie tolerate that situation effectively a, a sort of a semi autonomous Sinn Féin manipulated state in the north and Sinn Féin will find itself if it is and, and it will pro- presumably be the largest party on the nationalist side they will have to become in order to hold a position even maybe possibly more culturally aggressive if there isn't a vote for unity mm. they'll be demanding the widespread use of the Irish language we'll be talking about pre-Irish and Tushkart uh and 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 chakter and crook instead of stormont uh you'll be talking tushkart and heron you'll have the uh, royal avenue will be transformed into bobby sands boulevard that that's the type of situation you could be looking at so the 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 imperative here if i am talking about inevitability there's an imperative to trans, to carry out the transformation to the, in the interests of the of the powers that be that's the element of inevitability so do the european union do, do will there be this massive confrontation along the border between monaghan and tyrone because in the entry because the 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 german and french uh, ruling class who effectively manage the european union do they would they want a confrontation there with britain does the british ruling class want a confrontation no they don't and i, I believe they'll come to a deal a sensible pragmatic deal as as, as they will so i think there's there's so many different aspects to the calculations about the future of this island okay. there's, there's no simple one simple solution absolutely yeah. it's a dialectical position yeah. just interested in investigating and, and allow eugene to have have a, a view on that but given uh, and i would maybe you'd refer eugene to you know uh, the re-emergence of uh, of um these national capitalist interests um you know that you can see we manifest in trumpism with um America first and the, the what we had been led to believe was the hegemonic position of um global capitalism over uh, the, those interests over everything it's uh, now it seems to be that these capitalist interests are manifesting themselves is capitalism in a crisis that will that the, the 
whereby they're 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 now attacking each other. And this is the question for Ireland. I think there's always a difference. There's always a difficulty. I think of being very prescriptive about everything. I think because things are always constantly in a constant state of change. Um, I think there's we have to. I would look at the question of say the British relationship to Ireland uh, before Brexit. Economic and political border were the same, and between uh, the British border and Ireland was both the economic and political border were the same. Uh, today, the economic border between Britain and the European Union is now down the Irish Sea, but the political border of the British in Ireland has remained as it was since 1921, 22. Uh, so therefore, there's a, that is a question which comes down to it that, um, as Paul said, uh, Brexit was an historical accident. Uh, it was not necessarily the, the uh, how you say, the settled, vo- f- settled view of all of the British ruling class. It was certainly a view of a section of the British class, uh, the ruling class, uh, wanting to leave uh, uh, the European Union. Um, and I think, I don't think the majority of them did. So as part of an historical accident, but everything else, it, took in, it has taken them some period before, before they can find, their, re-establish their relationship. And I think what May, what Patricia May had said about uh, about the European Union or Britain, that they wanted a special relationship. And I think that that's what both uh, John, uh, Boris Johnson and uh, Theresa May have secured, is a special relationship between uh, British capital and the European Union. Um, the European Union also, I mean, where they have also not just about to deal with Britain, they have the strong difficulties of, um, if Britain leaves, uh, has left the European Union, uh, making the, those, that transition, that leaving uh, as difficult as possible. There's also other forces contending in Europe, that Europe is not of itself, there's contending issues. Uh, there's lots of countries in Europe who are actually unhappy with um, the centralised decision making, the imposition of policies. Um, so European Union sees itself that, uh, that uh, there could be a huge dislocation within Europe if to a degree the British uh, Brexit was a success story from their point of view. And you can see the reluctance of even the reaction towards imposition of um, lockdowns across Europe, restrictions on travels, uh, that, that immediately opposed national, national dimensions to, to um, health problems. And I think that they were had troubles coping with this. And uh, to a degree, is one of the factors why I think the European Commission uh, seized control of the vaccines was to re-establish some sort of a centralised authority and control over governments acting upon themselves. And so I think these are all things that are coming into play around this issue. Um, and around the question of Irish unity, uh, I hear what Tommy is saying about the question of the, the dynamics that take place. It will also be a dynamic, for instance, if, if um, Sinn Féin is in government in the uh, instalment uh, and is also uh, in government in the, in the Republic, it also has to, how do you say, uh, meet the aspirations of its own core base, uh, of a, I was a party that uh, advocates Irish unity, uh, believes in Irish unity, uh, sort of operate within two functional uh, governments, partition governments, and I think that will cause difficulty for 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 Sinn Féin, difficulty for uh, that way. And you can see why the reaction of the establishment towards the rise of Sinn Féin. I think they are very very reluctant because. Uh, they are themselves, I don't think, are strong enough to manage the process and therefore they need the allies of the European Union, they need the allies of the British to sustain and to manage that whole process. 
So they've got this levels, layers of dependency, as I said before, there's layers of dependency within the Irish establishment between their, their dependency upon the European Union, the dependency upon the British, and all that, and so therefore they're they're not they're not control of their, they're not control of the uh, the puppet master. They're not controlling all the all the players on the stage. They are control of certain play on the stage, but not all of the play. And that is what has them concerned. It has them concerned because they're not too sure what will possibly be the outcome. Whereas British imperialism, imperialism in general, has to a degree because of centuries of experience have. Um, they have plans which they have laid out and tried to implement over a long period of time. They take a much more strategic, long-term perspective on their on on their process, and I think um, that is reflective in, in 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 many of the issues that Britain has has always had a long-term strategy towards Ireland. And as he always said, it is the cutest and the most uh, devious of all the ruling classes of Europe. It has got centuries upon experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, to draw upon, and that's why the, the, the battery of institutions, the Sandhurst, something else. Don't talk about battles, military battles or political battles of, yes, of yesterday or last year. They talk about political and military battles of centuries ago, mm. and they draw that experience up through the political process. So they have a very clever uh, strategy, therefore, wouldn't okay. on, undermine that. So I think the question of where the European Union is going to go and where Britain is going to go, I think that imperialism will, be, will do whatever it thinks is necessary at a given moment in time. And I do think that, the, like all those things, we cannot allow ourselves to think that they're all masters. They have many contradictions on the basis of how, how those contradictions are exploited by us is the key question. It's the key question, I think, because... All right. Can I just stop you there, Eugene? Yeah, that, because you're sort of anticipating, and I can allow the others to, to jump in on this. Um, we understand that there, there are at least um, three imperial blocs in, 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 involved in exploiting Ireland and exploiting the class in Ireland and the European Union, the, U, uh, the, the United Kingdom and the USA. How, just briefly, given that long-term planning um, that would be part of the, of the control um, and, and um, imperialism itself, how would you view their those blocks their view of um, where Ireland should head and and uh, the possibility of new constitutional arrangements in Ireland. Yeah, I'll go to you, Paul, just for a sec. Let's start with you. I think it, again, it comes back to what we were saying. It depends. You can you can see in a way what they might do. In, I, we didn't deal with the question you'd raised initially in, in the um, in the prep. You know about Scotland. Because maybe that's a, a good good idea of what what they might do, and what they might do is 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 basically be agents of influence, not as an influence as in people in the Republican movement that were used in certain way, but but certain, the political figures in the media and in political parties to try and steer interests in their way, or to make alliances with these people, not con- control, but to make alliances, give you know, make it. These are people you can do business with, basically, as Tommy, I think, said initially. You know, um, our allies are people that can help us to extend our interest. In the in Scottish case, um, you know, I think it's a, a, the, the, the the Alba Party's in an interest in um, development. It's it doesn't it doesn't undermine the independence movement, but it gives the British British establishment, the British ruling class space to try and influence the outcome of, of Scottish independence referendum. And I think that, you, you know, we're talking about 
I think they would, the British are, you can see them doing that in the Republic, you know, in, in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, where their main allies are obviously, you know, Bradker and his friends, but also the, they're quite happy to, to, to Sinn Féin to be domesticated, you know, a sign of domestication is their participation in, in, in the Dáil not, you know, if they're not there, wouldn't be, play a role as oppositionists. As Tommy was saying, it'd be like the, the you know, the, the defanged um, Labour Party, but they've been part of that process for long. You know, these things don't happen over. They've been going on for a long, long time. They're, they're quite happy to accommodate that. I mean, the thing about the European Union is it's not a country, you know, right? It's not a ruling class. It's it's dominated by Germany and France and and, and, and Spain and, and Italy's in a, in a, you know, some way behind that. And the alliances that the, the German and the French forces the capital want to make will determine what the relationship of the European Union is to, to United Ireland. They quite happily accommodate that. The GDP of, of, of the Republic of Ireland uh, is smaller than GDP of Denmark. And the GDP of Denmark is, is smaller than, than, the, than the, the, you know, the annual turnover of, of, of Amazon. <laughs> you know, the, the, the countries are small, you know, the, these are, the, you know, and, and so um, BMW, the, you know, own presently runs Bavaria, you know, and the, the GDP of, of Bavaria is bigger than, than the GDP of Republic of Ireland. You know, so co- in, in these companies are massive institutions and and if, if, they do, if they can be accommodated within the European Union, they're quite, they're quite happy to do that, they'll mediate that. And I was reading, it's an interesting response from, you know, the, the um, Joe, Broly, Joe Broly's thing, you know, the footballer, the, 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 the Debate around his um, his uh, an RTE, the the way he was cut, you know what was said about him. When you read his what he had to say, um, you know obviously in the left people say, well, you know, because he what he was saying about what would what he would like to happen, what might happen, how the United Ireland might come about. There's that's a right wing that you know, but actually it's perfectly possible that that imperialism would settle with the, that kind of United Ireland, it's federal Ireland, where the restorement causes we place and it does its own thing. And Tommy has argued before that a way to make that work would be to make sure all the PSNI people's pensions were guaranteed. You could buy them their houses and you could give the loyalists extra taxis to, to run in, in North Belfast and there wouldn't be a problem. You know that we are not in a position to be saying this is what how it will work. We would like to be the people that are calling the shots. So we're, what your your question is the people that are the dominant, you know, the dom- the, the capitalist class, you know, where 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 capital goes, labor follows, and by the same way, where where you know, where imperialism goes, we have to we have to cope with that, you know, because they came into our country and did what they did, so we had to respond to that, you know, that war for okay, uh, the, the most recent one, forty. Right, I'm going on a bit, but just to no, make no, no, you're not. So players, I'm just subconscious. So we can we can see how we can see how how capitalism. Will, they, they will put up with any, however, the dialectic, you know, where they will they, they will try to manage that to the best their interest. They can live with anything. They can live with China and accommodate yeah. that in the words. Do you know what I mean? They can, you know, so. Okay, I, I think that work, brings us on to. Uh, unfortunately. Okay, Paul, thanks. But um, I think this brings us on, for, if, um, I'm just thinking of, of uh, time here, but brings us on to our, our final question. And, and really, it's a question about what. What is to be done? Um, what do we need on the left need to be doing? Um, if it's a long-term project, do we have to do we look at the Good Friday Agreement and um, 
do we work to internally uh, what can we do internally in the six counties to bring about um an end to that um sectarianization of the institutions of state and power even as a, a as a short-term gap but in the long term how do we shape and where do we influence um oh, the, the, the views of the class and how do we bring forward the interests of the, of the working class in um, the calculations around new constitutional arrangements in Ireland. Tommy? We're broadly here, the three of us, four of us in agreement that the greater capitalist interest was quite comfortable, even with Irish unity, so long as it abides by what a former Taoiseach Enda Kenny one time described that he intended to make Ireland the most best little country in the world to do business in and if that's the case then they, they can accommodate any situation where that's that remains mm. the status quo uh, i think what we have got to do is keep in mind that to a large extent sectarianism is not something genetically programmed within the population in the six counties of northern ireland it has arisen as a result of the creation of the state of northern ireland and how it came about and to end sectarianism on this island, religious sectarianism of the type we're talking about in, in the six counties, effectively my view is that we have to end the political entity that is the six counties. There is no point thinking that that sectarianism, this beast that's called sectarianism, can be can be wished away or argued away because the forces are so strong to maintain it. So we have to talk about ending the state that created sectarianism. And that I think is the, is, is the is the position. Can we do it? Well, I think at all times, and I'm, I'm actually, we have got at all times to go back to the old Gramscian thing of maybe a, a pessimistic of the mind, but always keep optimistic of the heart. And we've got to keep optimistic of the ability of the working class to train, transform society. Uh, and this has happened in the past so many times. We, we, we sometimes, because it didn't produce a Bolshevik revolution, we say we, we tend to dismiss it that it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a, a revolutionary transformation that there has been. And I'm at the moment actually reading a book about the British working class, uh, Seamus Millen's book called The Enemy Within. And I and I, when you read about the amount of support there was for the NUM and the minor strike right across the British working class, it, it defies the narrative that the capitalists the ruling class have put out in Britain that they were marginalised or anything but it. And that was why such an effort was made to smash that people. So you have revolutionary transform transformative potential within the work class. And we sometimes dismiss it in Britain, but certainly in Ireland. So many times we've come up to challenge the status quo. So I think we retain our faith in the ability of the people, the wide mass of the people that suffer under this iniquitous system of, of private enterprise and free market capitalism. To transform society. Our main task at the moment, since we don't have the, the numbers with us, is to provide a clear analysis and to deliver that to, to the people in terminology that people understand. Obviously, there are certain pieces of, of work that we have to do theoretically that can only be where we have to use certain terminology. But I mean, this, this is a simple message. It's who controls the wealth, the people that make the wealth, have to control the wealth and that we do have the ability to look after ourselves. The thing about Ireland to remember is that, as Paul talks about, rightly so, that the GDP of Ireland is 
is minuscule in comparison to the rest of, of capitalist world. The capitalists are not worried about, it, about us losing our GDP. They're not even worried about us losing if Facebook was forced to move on to Poland or Czechoslovakia or somewhere like that. What they're worried about is us creating a bad example. As Lenin talked about uh, with about the 1916 uprising, he said, it's so much more valuable to create a rising, to challenge the empire from within than if it had been some obscure peripheral part of the empire. Ireland is at the heart of the empire. What we have is, and this is where imperialism fears us, because we speak English. I mean, I know that the Gaelgory will regret this, but we do speak English. We have a wide diaspora across the world. We have an influence. And if Ireland was to go to the left, it would create the type of example that Cuba has caused for Latin America. And that's, that's what they're worried about. That's just, it's, not, it's not losing in tiny GDP. So that's what we're battling with, but it's the example we can create. And I think we've got to rely on, on the Irish, ultimately the Irish working class, as Connolly said, the last class, that, uh, the only class that we can rely on to liberate the people, obviously, because they, we have an interest in doing so, the working class has an interest in doing so. But uh, the main thing is to realize that the, at the moment, is to provide the analysis and deliver the narrative that we can change how to do it and keep remain optimistic that we can win because we will win and we're talking about the inevitability of irish unity let's think too of the inevitability that marx and engels talked about the inevitability of of, of progressive humanity delivering i think that's the message for us um colin i think if this is with Mark and ourselves, sort of trying to understand that I, the last century of, of uh, a century since the establishment of Stormont, um, if you look at the material base of unionism then and now, uh, the material base of unionism was, was uh, heavy engineering, shipbuilding, engineering, rope works, linen. It was a massive industrial uh, heartland of, of Ireland. It was the most industrialized part of Ireland. Um, the rest of Ireland in many ways was uh, agricultural dependency upon Britain. Um, and if you look at today, the north of Ireland, the steel and uh, the shipbuilding's gone, engineering is almost gone, uh, linen, all those heavy industries that, that, that once were dependent upon the British Empire and controlled by unionism are almost gone. Um, and in the south, you've got an industrial base, while it's precarious, it is no longer the same agricultural dependency that it once was. Um, so there's a shifting dynamic with even within uh, the Ireland itself between unionism, the balance of forces within unionism in the north, which is in, uh, has, was in sharp decline from the 1960s onwards. And I think that today that is reflected in, in those elements within unionism who see that, uh, that their future may lie with, with Europe rather than with London. Um, and to a degree, it is a big problem with the north of Ireland, it has been a big problem in the north of Ireland, is that uh, unionism have learned, uh, as once again, um, deception is the name of the game um, and dependency is the name of the game. That, um, they have little influence in London, they have little influence in Brussels and they have little influence in Dublin. And therefore they want to get influence, uh, the vehicle to achieve that may well be, as they see it now, or maybe through, through Dublin uh, into Brussels. Uh, because if it comes to London, they're going to get no influence, they're going to get no say, they're going to have no input into, into Brussels itself. Uh, what they see is that's where the game lies, the game lies with Brussels, with the European Union. So I think that sort of dependency can, how do we develop, how do we develop or how do we uh, exploit that dependency? 
How do we push for an All Ireland economic development? I think these are all crucial questions. I think that's about breaking down the uh, the rigidness of, of unionism. Uh, we talk about an All Ireland economic development. We talk about All Ireland economic and social uh, uh, demands, which from, the, from which break down that whole uh, unionist approach, uh, and also the to a degree the southern establishment approach. That we take these questions of uh, an All Ireland health service, an All Ireland education system. We see these and place them in a democratic way. This is about a democratic expression of the people. And I think that undermines, that can undermine unionism, it can undermine this uh, free state southern approach of the establishment that everything's cocooned in the 26 counties, that we open up that debate into that the solution to a health crisis is an all-Ireland health system, uh, that an, an education system, which is all-Ireland, which embraces the people. I think these can open up doors for us to, to advance uh, and to break down these things because if unionism wants to hold on to elements the union wants to hold on to the 26 counties in a very narrow sectarian position then our policy must be by breaking that challenging it and opening it up and the same in the south if the southern establishment are quite happy with the 26 counties then we challenge that and we break it down and break it down in the component parts that come forward with it and i think with the Island forum came forward with its uh, democratic program for the 21st century i think it's key in there i think the question of democracy is key uh, the whole question of the not just the denial of democratic uh, national democracy and national unity, uh, but the whole question of people feeling increasingly alienated from power from around their lives. Economic decisions, political decisions, social decisions are really are completely not only made beyond them. And I think the question of how we bring, how we institute, engage in the discussion about real democracy, both political democracy, economic democracy, cultural democracy, social democracy. I think that's where we get into the heart of that debate. Around that, and I think that's where the the conflict with uh, imperialism can uh, can we can find unity and of action, and I think that's where the crucial thing at this moment in time is about pushing forward demands which strengthen the hands, strengthen the unity of the working class, and weakens the power of capital. I think that's what we need to be looking at: is we can how what demands we can uh, weakens unionism, weakens uh, uh, to degree imperialism. Imperialism's got a strategy of divide and rule. Then what what policy we come forward? Do we come forward with which can, brings about some degree of unity and to a degree demands like a unified health service uh, nationally? I think that's a strengthening. It strengthens the actual how working class people see things, how they experience things, and how they receive things. I think that would be important in the economic social strategy uh, of an on an all Ireland basis. Therefore, it stops the idea of um, the people, the people, the, the, the northern executive saying, "Well, we're going to cut corporations tax to match this." Not always that the big monopolies can play off the northern administration against the Dublin government and stuff like that. So, I think things that got an all Ireland economic and social strategy, I think, would be crucial about building how would about really, really building an indigenous, an indigenous base using the natural resources that we have. I think that way we're we're binding more unity. Uh, the things would bring us together rather than looking at the things which, which those forces who are opposed to us constantly look for the point of division, because division is where they prosper. And, uh, okay. the On that, I'm going to put you, Paul, um, how, because of the, the trend within those who want to democratise on that national basis seems to be along bourgeois lines, how do we put, bring forward the class interest, Paul, so that we don't end up with a a bourgeois democracy um, um, replacing an imperial entity that might have been even more um, reactionary and more um, regressive. But how do we bring forward that that issue of class and um, class rights and the demand to control um, what we produce? 
And in that, in line with that, how do we challenge the structural um, entities that and, and, and forces that have been created around the Good Friday Agreement, um, which seem now to be dominating the conversation and, and dictating the parameters of the conversation? I think it's very, as Tommy mentioned, or as Tommy mentioned, our great friend Antonio Gramsci, you know, pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. I think if we ever get intellectually optimistic, I think we need to give up because I think the chances are not good. We have to, but we have to be all the time critical and vigilant because to be frank, we've failed. I think we need to have that balance sheet, you know, and whether it's Pat O'Donnell or people for profit or other progressive movements, we've not been able to do that. And we have to, it's not our fault. You know, it's in a relationship breaks down and say, it's not my fault, it's yours. Well, it, it's partly our fault because we're not able, whatever it is, to make that leap. There, there's a touchstone and it's what we're always searching for. It's what you, you ask that question, trying to think what would make, make the difference, for example, I mean, if you take go back to the question of Scotland, since it, since the last referendum, this is by way of how, how, how to, you, do, I, you don't, I mean, I don't know it, how to do it. But after the last, leading up to the, the independence referendum 214, there was something like 80, 90% of people in favour of Scottish independence. By the time the vote passed, you know, it, it almost won. You know, people were saying if, if the independence movement gets 30%, that's great, you know. But what mobilised it was a whole series of movements, young, mostly young people on the left, ecological left, revolutionary left, and fragments of, of movements that had been there before, doing, you know, re reasonably successful. And after the failure of the, the, the referendum, everything that the left had said, you know, radical independence campaign, and, and the SNP itself was shown to be true. You know, there's no other bullshit about that the Tories had promised, you know, to win people and the, the Labour Party as well. The unionists had promised to make, you know, to give Scotland if they stayed in, in the UK. They're all shown to be rubbish. And for, you know, for six, seven years, people have been saying, I've been saying, let's build the left. Let's build the left. I mean, a comrade and friend of, of, of our, of, of Pat O'Donnell, you know, Alan Armstrong has been doing great work and, and, and that the current in Scotland has been doing great work. And suddenly, Alex Salmon, you know, who, who, who was a pariah, so that's a party called ALBA. And suddenly you get, you know, both from former Communist Party members, the Labour Party left, radical independence campaign, all, all going towards that, towards that movement as a left pole. I mean, I'm still working through exactly what it, what it, what the consequences of Alba are, the Alba Party are. But sometimes you can't say what the what the, the trigger is to provide an alternative to the because the SNP is a right wing social. I'm not even sure you'd say it's a social democratic party, but it, but anyway, but it's had that radical dynamic in Scotland, certainly to the left, the Labour Party, which might not be very difficult, but even under Corbyn. And it's difficult to get that margin. So how do you do that in the North? And I, I liken what's happened, you know, we're, we're, we've all got issues with the Good Friday Agreement. I don't think any of us agree with it. But, but imagine, you know, if you say that, you're immediate, it's a bit like saying you want to support Palestine, now you're anti-Semitic. 
in Britain, suddenly the whole, and I hear today, history books for children are being rewritten in Britain to accommodate the Israeli view of, of what happened in Palestine. But talking about hegemony, how to break the hegemony of the dominant class, how to break the hegemony of the bourgeoisie, it's very, very difficult, but it can come in very, can come from very peculiar, you know, points of departure. I mean, civil rights movement, who would have thought we'd have a 40 year war against Britain and Ireland over the fact that people couldn't, um, you know, people couldn't get, there wasn't proper housing. Do, do you know what I mean? What, what are the slow, what's the, what's the campaigns or the, the biggest movement in the Republic of Ireland ever around the, the you know, the, the, the right, right to water campaign? But who would have thought that there would have been a, you know, a movement like that? So it's how to see, try and get an idea of what, you know, what the move, what, how to break the hegemonic grip of the dominant social forces are. And probably anybody you talk to on the Falls Road would agree with anybody with politics who's not in the Sinn Féin party, probably wouldn't disagree with what we're saying. You know, it's kind of okay, it's obvious. And that even so many people now will be voting Sinn Féin holding their nose. But as soon as you say the Pat O'Donnell Socialist Republican Forum or, you know, so the, you know, how do we get unity amongst ourselves? Can we start with that as well? Is that, how do we do that? We can't say well. Part of social Donald Forum is quite remarkable, okay? Because it does it does give people it does make it difficult for people to say I'm not going to talk to you or I'm not going to participate in meetings because of who you because what are you because what you're doing is you're putting forward a series of, dem of, of demands of positions which people on the left find difficult to to gain say and you're not saying you have to be part of us to support what we're doing and it's the old Leninist principle. You know, march together and strike separately if you want, but we have to march together so we can strike separately. If we strike separately and march separately, we're finished. So we have to think about how we can get unity, you know, or an alliance amongst ourselves. And then we can challenge the hegemony of the board, they challenge the hegemony of the Good Friday Agreement, the interpretation. If you don't agree with it, you know, you're a tail ender, you know, you, you freeze to get up your gun and you have an argument where you've got, you know, with guns. It, it takes, it, they, they're able to win the argument before they start. Like the whole issue about their comrade today over over the funerals, it's preposterous. But <laughs> you know, given what the Sinn Féin party have been doing, you know, funerals and so on. Okay, Tommy and, and, so, and Eugene, and we're going to cut it. That that's excellent, Paul. Um, could right. just finish off and and, and we we'll round up here. You want to any of these want to make final comments? Uh, the final comment is that we should not be. Uh, uh, too pessimistic. I think uh, to believe sometimes we fall for the trap that imperialism is all powerful and uh, without difficulties. I think imperialism has got many contradictions, uh, and I think the most important thing is to we should need to do is to focus upon where we think we can advance uh, issues, and that um, if there are major contradictions between uh, European Union and Britain, I think that's where we need to be well, to work upon. To develop them, and to agree, I think that's where we need to develop them around the question of uh, intensifying the struggles around an oil and economy, intensifying the struggles around oil and institutions, uh, bringing people together. I think this is where we can expose both the establishment in the south and also uh, continue to expose unionism and continue to expose the British. I think that's where we need to be uh, doing that. Um, I think we have got uh, 
we have something to offer the people. I think you need to oh, we have to, something to offer the people. You have to always have the belief in that. I think the people are looking for a way forward. I think we need to uh, be in that debate. We need to be involved in that debate. And I think around the question of of uh, a border poll or all those questions, I think uh, the future is fought for today. What we do today shapes tomorrow. And I think it's crucial that the progressive uh, left Republicans are active in the debate today, tomorrow and next day. And I think that's, uh, that's where we need to be there today is to try to, what we, well, the seeds you sowed today will we'll, we'll find, will grow fertile. Uh, not, maybe not tomorrow, but the week after, the week after. I think that's what we need to be doing it out there, sowing the seeds uh, of progress, sowing the seeds of change, sowing the seeds of hope. Because I think an awful lot of people across the, everywhere, everywhere, is a great sense of hopelessness, a great sense of nothing can be done, a great sense of powerlessness. And I think it's our job to show people have power, people have the potential to change, working people have the potential to really change and, and transform society. And I think that's the message we need to, to, to constantly hammer home that you have the power within it. When we come together, we have the power to change. We have the power to change. And today, tomorrow is shaped by our actions today. Yeah, and I give the final word to Tommy. Thanks for giving me the last word. I didn't expect this, but I'm not going to again say that Paul or Eugene, the two of them have made a very fine contribution to an over and a very fine overview of what has been a very, I think, useful, enlightening discussion. And I think the thing to remember is the words Eugene has said that imperialism, capitalism, our opponents are not all powerful. And always keep in mind that on so many occasions in the past, working people, ordinary, the graph bubble, have shown their ability to transform society when least expected. And that's what we keep in mind, that optimism, that we can and will change this society in a progressive fashion. The arc of history is on our side, and that's what we'll, we'll hold on to. Okay, got a kid, Mayakov, Lish, I guess, a bio, um, Thomas Munchuk, Jokalev, Kelleru, Nak, um, Iriman, Kaska, Eganam Shah, um, I guess, um, but Jokal Majorash, Lakila, Ex Winchu, Erna, Nashal, like, um, Ganwell. All right, so see, thanks like everybody it. for the contributions, and we hope that uh, you have a, a, a thoughtful Easter. Thank you.